Please stand for the reading of God's word. This will be from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 2 through 10. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man was caught up into paradise. Whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And he heard things that cannot be told, which man may not utter. On behalf of this man, I will boast. But on my own behalf, I will not boast, except, for, except of my weaknesses. Though I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should, it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with my weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. God. You may be seated. Well, good morning again. I'm Travis. I'm the pastor here. Uh, Just a a prefatory note that it's been uh, internationally certainly a very difficult week. We know at least some of our folks here have connections to Turkey or Syria, and it's been a grievous uh, loss of life, and we grieve with you, and we sorrow over these things. It's also been a difficult few weeks, continues to be very hard uh, in the life of our church, and I want to continue to exhort us uh, to gentleness and grace with one another. Uh, We have a resource page that's going to be coming out on our website today. It's going to include various things that may be helpful for you in light of what's going on. Uh, But in particular, I want to direct you to some thoughts that we're offering on how we relate to each other in this time. How do we talk to each other? How do we care about each other? I encourage you to take a look that we might be helped in caring for each other well in the midst of uncertainty. If you're just visiting, we are going through something difficult as a church, but I'm very glad that you're here. There's no better place to be than in the house of the Lord, and Scripture says it's better to go into the house of mourning than the house of dancing. It's good to be near the Lord and to be closer in, so we are hopeful today that our our time in the Word will meet you just where you are as the Spirit is able. Uh, We're continuing a short series that I've been calling Walking in Darkness. Uh, hoping to address some of the moment that we find ourselves in as a church covering themes like how we experience uncertainty, how we go through suffering and pain, how we walk through the midst of those things with faith, love, and hope. Last week we were in Isaiah chapter 50, which invited us not to avoid our pain, uh, not to hide and run from our frustration and our uncertainty, but actually to face these things, to face them, not alone, but with God walking beside you as a friend. 
Today, among many things, our passage delves deeper in what it looks like, into what it looks like, to turn and face the pain and uncertainty of our life, to think about how we understand that and what we have in the midst of that from God. So to explore what our text has for us in these things, I want to look at three considerations. First, God's gifts to Paul in verses 2 through 4 and 7. Uh, Second, Paul's pleading in verse 8. And finally, God's response to Paul and what it leads to in verses 9 through 10. So God's gifts to Paul, Paul's pleading, and God's response. Uh, Before we get into these things, would you bow your heads and let's pray one more time and ask the Lord to fill up our hearts through his word. Lord, we confess, as we have already this morning, that you have entered in, that your son Jesus is the very tangible reminder that you have stepped into a world that is riddled by brokenness and that you have done something about that, that you have let it touch your life, that you have let it come into your own house, into your own being. You are not far removed from us right now. You are not far off, but you are the God who is near the brokenhearted who does not break a bruised reed, who is not careless or distant, but you are Emmanuel, God with us. As we sang this morning, one day the trumpet will sound and the Lord will descend and we will see you face to face in power and glory and majesty and we will be changed with you. And as the apostle says, The suffering of this time will not be worth comparing with the glory we will know on that day. But God, today is not yet that day. So would you meet us in this time between? Would you come and be near our hearts now? Speak, move, change. In your name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bibles, please have them open. If you don't, there should be one in the pew in front of you, a hardback black one there. Uh, We'll be going through uh, the text a bit together. Uh, Starting off with our first consideration, God's gifts, that's a plural, not single gift, to Paul in verses 2 through 4 and 7. Our text starts off on an undoubtedly high note. Paul is given a vision, a revelation, whether in the body or out of the body, he is not entirely sure, but it was an experience of immense magnitude for his life, that this was something that he could not even share, that there was so much that happened in this that was beyond what what humans are able to communicate to one another. He's experienced, in other words, something that is really beyond expression, and that's made an imprint on his soul. God has given him this amazing gift, an amazing experience, letting him hear and see divine mysteries and realities. That's what Paul is getting at here when it says words that can't be uttered, things that men are not permitted to speak. Those were ways of speaking about divine mysteries, things that would be otherwise hidden from our sight. Paul got to experience God shared those things with him freely, things that any of us, if we saw them, would really long to see. Uh, But Paul's experiential high is quickly met with an ongoing, consistent low. God also gives him, as the text says, I was given, not just another amazing experience, but an ongoing experience of suffering and pain and difficulty, what Paul calls a thorn, verse 7. 
We don't know exactly what the thorn was. In many ways, it's actually helpful for us that we don't know because then the thorn could be anything that you were going through that's difficult. But whatever it was, it made Paul struggle, made him struggle deeply. It says he pleaded with God three times to take it away. You might feel like, I don't know, maybe that's not that much pleading. Maybe you gave up after three times. Uh, Three times biblically can be a reference if you go back to Isaiah when the creatures are in God's temple calling out, holy, holy, holy. A three times repetition was basically a way of saying there is no greater way to say this. There is no more extent. We could see Paul saying in this that there was no extent to which I wouldn't go to to plead with God about these things. It was continually washing over me. I was in prayer asking God to take this away. And it's something that's not just a casual frustration for Paul. It's something significant enough that Paul could call it a messenger of Satan sent to harass me, something that is continually dogging me. Paul's not saying like, well, I was just going through kind of a difficult time and I was a little frustrated. Paul is like on his knees begging, pleading that this thing would stop. He feels beset and attacked. Now that is quite a contrast. I would imagine that very few of us in our lives have had such a dramatic, ecstatic experience transition quickly to an ongoing suffering. Some of us might have known that, but it probably felt like a bit of a whiplash to Paul. It felt like things were going so well for him. He was having this great experience of God's presence and realities. He gets a taste of joy, but then all of a sudden, he gets an ongoing, persistent struggle. The vision ends, but the thorn does not. Right? He has this ecstatic moment, this uplifting moment, but then he has a much longer experience of pain and suffering tacked on to that. What do, what do we do with that? Why does God do this to Paul? Why does he do it in our lives sometimes? Is it just cruel? Is God just careless or vindictive? Is it just a punishment? Oftentimes... We don't know exactly what God is doing. It's not clear entirely that while Paul was experiencing this, he knew what was happening. Paul's writing about something that happened 14 years earlier with the vantage point of what God's been doing in his life since then. And from that vantage point, he can say, this was to keep me from becoming conceited. But we don't really know if Paul knew that in the moment. He was just sitting in that suffering, wondering, pleading with God to stop it, wondering why. We don't know that Paul knew why this was happening. But he does come to see that something beyond cruelty or indifference or punishment was at work. God was actually giving him through this two gifts. Not one gift and one curse. Not one blessing and one punishment, but two gifts. And while I can't say that I know what God is doing exactly in our church right now or what he is doing or has been doing in your life, we can learn from Paul how he treats us in general, even when we walk in uncertainty and don't know what he is doing. The way God treats us is that he gives gifts. You see, both the vision and the thorn are God's gifts to Paul. Both. Not just one. 
God delights to give Paul this vision of unspeakable heavenly realities, things that would take your breath away and captivate your imagination for years if you saw them. And he does that knowing that if all he does is give Paul this vision, it will corrupt him. It will make him conceited and proud. It will take more away from him than it would give. He gives him that gift knowing that it was dangerous for him to receive knowing that by itself it would corrupt him. It would be too much for him. I don't know if any of you all watched the Hobbit movies, which are now in and of themselves like 10 years old, which is hard to imagine. But in the Hobbit films, there is the Arkenstone, the rarest of jewels, the king's jewel that Frodo finds at one point, but he doesn't give it to Thorin, who has been so desperately looking for it because he hears that if he gave it to him, and he also perceives that if he gave it to him, it would corrupt him. It would crush him. So Frodo doesn't share this great gift and treasure with him. He holds it back. He has to choose between caring for his friend and giving him an amazing gift. But God is not limited like that. He doesn't have to choose between giving you something great and taking care of you. He can actually do both. Maybe not in a way we would understand, but he knows how to do this. And he so delights to give gifts to us that he will give in a way that blesses us, even if that is complicated and difficult and will require struggle in order for us to go through. He so delights to give the greater gift that he will do whatever it takes that you might be able to still have that thing. He's able, in the way that we are not, to actually give both a greater gift that if left alone would break us and a gift that's albeit painful that lets us enjoy that greater gift. You see, we have to see here, Paul understands that God was giving both things, both the vision and the suffering, both the ecstasy and the pain, both the uncertainty and the affliction of the moment as a whole packaged gift that was meant to be something of a blessing to Paul, meant for his good. It's important to see that. Because though the second gift, the thorn, hurts, it's clear that Paul understands God to be showing him that it would hurt a lot less than him becoming corrupted by not having that thing to keep him close to the Lord. And it also hurts far less than never having the first gift at all. You see, how much God loves Paul, how much God loves us that he will not withhold that greater thing just because it is a challenge for us, just because it's dangerous for us in some sense, just because there presents a difficulty. God will not hold back what would be light in your life, what would be blessing in your life, just because it will be difficult. He would rather have you have that thing and have difficulty around it than never have it at all. Uh, There's a song that captures this concept of 
of being hurt, but having more than you would have if you never hurt at all uh, pretty well. Um, it's a song, are you ready? By Garth Brooks. This may be the only time in my entire ministry career that I will make a country music reference. But secretly, I love Garth Brooks. Um, this song is called The Dance. It says, looking back on the memory of the dance we shared neath the stars above. For a moment, all the world was right. How could I have known that you'd ever say goodbye? And now, I'm glad I didn't know the way it all would end, the way it all would go. Our lives are better left to chance. I could have missed the pain, but I'd have had to miss the dance. Now I'd say our lives are better left to God than to chance, but God does not rhyme with dance. Uh, so we will let it go for Garth. We could ask God if he could let us skip the pain, let us skip the thorn and the trial, but then we'd have to miss the dance. That doesn't have to be a romantic thing. When I hear this song, a lot of times I think about my grandfather and the relationship that I have with him. We can think about all the things that we lose, but the specialness that they still have in our lives despite being lost is something that we would not give up for anything. God's not going to let you miss that greater thing. He's not going to take that greater gift from you just because it will be hard to hold or because at some point it won't be yours to hold because there is something in that first gift that the pain of losing it cannot extinguish, cannot overcome. Some light there that the darkness will never touch, will never own, will never take from you, which will always be yours. And that light is worth so much more than any experience of darkness that you could ever possibly go through. See, God would have you have some light in the darkness rather than never have any light at all. Do you see the affection of a God who would sooner give you light amidst darkness than worry that, that it might be too much for you, than never give you light, never give you joy, never let you experience the dance? See that God who won't make you miss the joy, even if you can't understand why you've lost it. And I don't know what that greater gift is for you. I don't know what that has been or what that will be in your life, but we're all going to go through loss. We're all going to experience something amazing and not have it after a certain amount of time. I don't know what that affliction will be for you, what it is for you right now, but I do know that for those whom God loves, thorns are only there to keep the greater gift in your hands and to keep you in His. That is the purpose of these things.
They may feel like a messenger of Satan, and certainly you can be afflicted in that way, but you are only within the hands and care of God while these things are happening. They are only coming ultimately as a gift of God to keep you in his possession and to give you more than you would otherwise have if he did not do these things. But the reality is that that thorn that gift to help us enjoy the first gift is really hard to handle. And the text doesn't pretend like it's not. If we look at verse 8 and we move into our second point, Paul's pleading. Paul is really bothered by this, really bothered by this affliction. So what do we do? What does Paul do knowing that this thing is really hard and he just has to sit under it? Maybe even knowing possibly that this is there for his good. Maybe there's a chance that Paul knew that at this time or that down the road he might still be suffering from this thorn and might know that it's there for his good. What do we do with that even if we know possibly that these things are there for our good? Do we need to just ignore them? Do we need to just kind of grit and bear it and smile and say, too blessed to be stressed, right? The Lord is in it. Do we just run from the pain? Do we numb the pain like we talked about last week? No. That's not what Paul does. That's not what we have to do. We don't have to ignore the pain. God is not expecting you to pretend like this doesn't hurt or to run away from it just because you know there's a greater purpose to these things. You get to still be a human. You still get to say, that hurts. Kids, I want to tell you a secret. If you go to the doctor and get a shot and you say, that really hurts, when you get older, it still hurts. You may not tell the doctor, but inside you're thinking, I hate you. <laughs> Please don't stab me with that. Right? It still hurts, even if we know it has a greater purpose. And you still get to, and maybe adults should feel the freedom to say, ouch, that hurt. I didn't like that even if I know it's good for me. Paul talks like that. Paul talks in a real way. Paul is still a real human with real feelings. He talks to God about how he is feeling in a real, authentic way. And doesn't just talk, he pleads. He's pouring out his heart before God, saying, this is crushing me. Please, Jesus, please do something about this. He doesn't hide it or feel like he can't talk to God about it. And he doesn't quit talking to God about it. Right? Paul is the squeaky wheel. He is just saying again and again and again, please help me with this, God. That shows us a closeness that Paul has, that Paul recognizes, as we talked about last week, of, of seeing God as his friend. Because what is a friend if not someone that you can complain to? Someone that you can call up when things have not gone your way that week and say, this week was awful. I hate this. I want out of this. Please, God, make this stop. That's what friends are there for. Paul shows us in his pleading what it looks like from the human perspective to walk with God as a friend through darkness. It means that you talk to him about how you are really doing. It means you don't worry about bothering him with sharing where your heart is, your frustrations and your pain. You just pick up the phone. You just send a message. 
You don't think too hard about it because you know your friend cares about you and will hear you and will receive that in love and kindness in their best moments, right? All of us fall short. We're not all great friends. But in our best moments, we are some of that reflection of what God is like. And I want you to really see here that, that you are invited to keep asking. God never chastises Paul for asking over and over. It's not in the text. He doesn't say, Paul, stop, I get it. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, I'm so disappointed you knew Paul. Don't you just know that this is for your good? He just answers his wrestling with a word that is actually pointed at the much deeper anguish he's experiencing. Shows us God invites our authentic struggle and wrestling before him. He wants Paul to treat him this way. He wants you to treat him this way. This is an example for us of how we can treat God when things are not going well in our lives. Do you know that you can talk to God this way? He can handle you being angry with him. He can handle you crying out and pleading and doing it over and over and over again. He's just glad to hear from you. This is what it looks like to handle the pain and the hardship of that second kind of gift. It looks like treating God like a friend and telling Him how you are really doing and asking Him to show up. That's how we hold the hard gift. We do that with a friend. We do not do that alone. We do that with God. We keep coming back to Him. He is inviting us to do these things with Him, to be real with Him, to plead with Him. So I want to invite you, plead with God in the dark when you don't know what's going on, when you can't understand, plead with Him. He is inviting you to do that. Invite Him to respond. That brings us to our third consideration in verses 9 and 10. We see God's response and what that does for Paul. He does respond. God does answer. But sometimes God response, God's response may not be what we asked for, may not be what we want. I want you to see very clearly Paul did not get what he asked for here. It does not say, and God took away the thorn. It doesn't say that. We don't know if or when this affliction went away. God answers him, but he does not grant Paul's surface-level wish. Sometimes God is not going to give you the answer that you want. Sometimes he is not going to give you the relief that you ask for, but that doesn't mean, I want you to hear me say this clearly, that does not mean that he is not helping or that he does not care. It just means he knows something that we don't know. Tim Keller has really said, well, that God will always give you what you would ask for if you knew what he knows. He's not going to be petty. He's not going to give you just what you would ask for and say, (laughs) that's going to go terribly for you. He doesn't do that. He will always give you 
what you would ask for if you knew what he knows. And that's what he does for Paul here. He doesn't give Paul what he asks for. He gives him what he knows will help. Not necessarily the help Paul thinks he needs. So what is that help then? What is God's response to Paul if not exactly what Paul was asking for? I think it's actually two things. It's both what every human needs and secondly, what no human naturally understands. God gives those two things to Paul in his response. First, he gives what every human needs. Um, The author Brene Brown in several of her works explains that what every human needs to really know that they belong, that they are worthy of love, that they are valuable, that they are enough, no matter how much they do or don't do in this life, is three things. It's courage, compassion, and connection. Those are the things that we are hardwired to need and have to flourish as humans. She says in her book, Daring Greatly, that the people who have those three, quote, don't have better or easier lives. They don't have fewer struggles with addiction or depression. And they haven't survived fewer traumas or bankruptcies or divorces, but they have the belief that they are worthy of love belonging, and even joy. It's not that when you have those three things that you need to flourish that you face fewer storms, but that you face the storms with a resilience so that the storm passes but you remain. These three give the ability for us to endure in a concrete sense, to flourish despite the storm. And what does Jesus give Paul when he answers him? Exactly those three things, courage, compassion, and connection. Take a look with me. It's very clear from verse 10 and how Paul responds to what Jesus shares that that gave Paul immense courage. This lets Paul go off on a riff. Sometimes Paul gets excited when you see a lot of words just kind of stacked up together. And this, and that, and that, and that. Paul is just kind of excited. He is feeling it. He is in the moment. Paul just goes on a riff in verse 10 and talks about all the things that he knows he can face now, all the hardships that he can stare eye to eye because of what Jesus just said to him. Because he heard these words from his friend. He is ready to face it all, even the hard stuff, because what Jesus just said to him has given him courage to stare it in the face and walk forward. Jesus gives him courage to face what he's going through. He also gives him compassion. You see in verse 9, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. You might not think that sounds very compassionate. I feel like the compassionate answer would be to say, I got you, Paul. Thorn, out. No problem. But when you know what the grace of Jesus Christ is really about, you realize that there is a depth of compassion in those words that Jesus shares that can't even really be measured. Because if we understand true compassion, true compassion requires the courage to let yourself be wounded by someone else's pain, 
by someone else's mistake, to let yourself be wounded by their injury, to step into their world and just sit down, to not fix it, to not change it, to just share in it, compassion, suffer with. And the grace of Jesus Christ is unquestionably that in his life no one was more willing to step into other people's pain. No one was more willing to sit with and care for hurting people than Jesus. No one was more willing to carry and feel the weight of that to the point of exhaustion time and again. And on the cross he showed that no one was more willing to let the pain of our souls, even the pain of our stubborn, misguided, self-deceptive foolishness and sin, wound him to the point of taking his life. In that, God shows us He is not just willing to suffer with us, but even for us, in our place, for things that were not His responsibility. That is the compassion, the, the, the presence that He would give us. The grace of Jesus Christ is that He was willing to be wounded for our pain and suffering. He says, my grace, my compassion, we could say, is sufficient for you. The cross is unmatched compassion. But Jesus is not done giving. As I said early in the sermon, God's default disposition towards you is gift and giving. He keeps giving, not just courage or compassion, but connection too, because he doesn't say, I feel for you, my grace is sufficient in weakness, end of sentence, move on. He says, my grace is sufficient for you for my strength is made perfect in weakness. In weakness. It means Jesus is attaching himself to Paul's weakness. He says, that's where my power shows up. That's where I am connecting to you is in your moment of weakness. I'm going to be present. I'm going to be with you in the pain. I'm going to connect and show up in power right in the midst of your struggle, not after it's done, not when things are rosy for you, but I am going to show up and sit down and be present with you right in the middle of the pain. That's where I'm going to be. That's where you can expect me to be. That's where my grace and my compassion goes. He gives Paul connection in his weakness. The power of God, the presence of God is most known, most acute in weakness. And that is the second thing that God gives him here, which is the thing that no human naturally knows. That weakness, struggle, and pain are not in the way of God's power. They are not in the way of us connecting with God. Rather, these things are exactly where God's power shows up for us in fullness. It is where we can expect Him to meet us. You might almost call it the meeting place because that's how God sees it. 
Weakness is the meeting place in your life for his power, his care, his compassion. It's not his place of disappointment in you. It's not his place of abandoning and forgetting you. It is the place of his greatest presence and our greatest expectation for God to be in your life. In the hard places. That's not how it feels to us. It feels like our weakness and our suffering and our uncertainty are in the way of God being in our lives. That flourishing looks like being free from these things. But look back at the cross again. Because the power of God to crush all of sin for all those who believe for all time, the power to unite everyone that he would call his own to himself was there in that one moment. Not in the miracle of feeding the 5,000. Not in the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead. Not in the miracle of healing the man who had to be lowered in through the ceiling. He was so in the grip of paralysis. The power of God to save you and I from all of our disconnection, all of our brokenness, to make us truly and finally his, happens at the greatest moment of weakness in Jesus Christ's life. The cross was not a moment of flexing by human standards. It was a moment of flexing by theological standards, of God showing the lengths he was willing to go to to have you back, to put on a show of strength, but we don't see it that way. We see that as defeat. God sees that very differently. Weakness was not in the way at the cross. It was the way to power. It was the way to the power that broke the brokenness and disconnection of sin. God does this in our lives through weakness. He connects to us deeply through human weakness. That's the pattern of the entire Christian life this side of heaven. That was the pattern of Jesus' life, and if you are in Christ, if you are a Christian, if you are following him, you can be sure that's going to be the pattern for your life too. That weakness and pain is going to be there, but weakness and pain is also exactly the spot, the focal point for God's greatest presence in your life. It's not the end of his power. It's the focus of it. Because in our weakness, he sees what we can't possibly see on our own. And he does what we can't possibly do. God sees things in weakness that we can't see. Where we see a life of shame, God sees a resume ready for redemption. Where we see our life completely in ashes and burned to the ground, God sees the dust that he breathed life into in the very beginning. Where we see only our failures, God sees his victory. Where we see our crisis, God sees his working all things for the good for those he loves. Where we see crucifixion, God sees resurrection. Where we see death and a grave, God sees a garden and future glory. When we see darkness... I want you to see the place where God's power is ready to connect. 
where he shows up with compassion and courage for you. So as you walk through the dark, look on your struggle, look on our struggle in hope that this is exactly the kind of moment that God shows up in. This is exactly the kind of place, exactly the kind of people, exactly the kind of circumstances where God shows up in power. Maybe not the power that we would expect, maybe not in the way that we would ask, but you can be sure that this is exactly the kind of place where God shows up. To help us see that, I want to give you a couple practical things in conclusion today to, to consider those three C's more in your life, courage, compassion, and connection, and to plead. So thinking about those three C's, God offers you the same things in the midst of your pain and darkness that he offered to Paul. Courage, compassion, and connection. Those are no less yours than they were Paul's. Paul shares these things that you might know that they are yours, that though the vision was for him, this word is for you. You don't get to see what Paul saw in that, but you get to hear what Paul heard. These words, this courage, compassion, and connection is for you. So have courage that his power is nearest in weakness, that if you feel weak and helpless and uncertain right now, you have actually never been closer to the presence and the power of God. That that's where the veil of separation between our reality and the divine reality is actually at its thinnest, when you are most able to see through what separates. The compassion of his life is there for you. He is willing to let your pain wound him. Are you willing to hand that to him? Know that he has compassion for you. See the connection that he gives here and how he, he makes it clear that he is intent on showing up in your weakness, not after it is done, not once you finally become strong. So where do you need some of each of these in your life right now? Where do you need courage to face a verse 10 kind of life? Hardships, insults, persecution, disaster. Where do you need the courage of God to stare these things in the face like Paul could because he heard what you heard this morning? Where can you say, when I am weak, then I am strong? Where do you need some of the compassion of God for the verse 10 parts of your life? Where do you need to look back at the cross this week when you are reminded of your pain and suffering and tempted to feel like God doesn't hear me, God doesn't see me, God doesn't care about me? Where do you need to stop looking at that for just a moment and look back at the cross and say, of course he sees me. Of course he hears me. Of course he's going to show up in my weakness. Where do you need connection with God right now? Where are you disconnected from God? Where are you pulling back? On community? On prayer? On praise? On reading His Word, letting Him speak? Where am I disconnecting? Where do I need to lean in more? Consider those three things this week. And Finally, I just want to note that those three things actually come through what? Not through Paul sitting around, not through Paul being nice, but through Paul pleading 
with God. That is the context for those three things showing up in his life. Paul being raw and real and repetitious with God about the things that bothered him. Far from being afraid to plead with God, it's in that context of being utterly real that these things come to Paul, and the same is true for you and I. That God delights to show up in those moments when we are truly just unvarnished and real, when we're not really careful about our words, when we're just letting it be. And maybe we need to repent after that for the way that we talk to God. But we're just letting what's in our heart be there and letting God see it and not holding it back. Pleading is how these things come about. So do not think that you can't talk to God about what you are feeling that it would be inappropriate for you to be really honest about what's in here, whether that's just confusion and uncertainty or anger or deep sadness. You can absolutely, you are invited to plead with God about these things. This is how courage, compassion, and connection arrive in our lives through honest pleading. So if you feel like you need more of those things, find time, make time, allow yourself the space to plead with God even if it's just for 30 seconds. Don't stifle that. If Paul had stifled that, we would not have this verse. This verse came about because Paul was upset and he let God know about it. Would you maybe do us the courtesy of being upset and letting God know about it that we might hear how God moves in your life? Because God is willing and God is able Let's pray. I'd like to give you a moment to respond to some of the things we just talked about in prayer, maybe thanking God for the way He loves to just give and give to you, or maybe confessing the ways that you have been distant from Him, haven't really wanted to connect, or ask God to meet you in your weaknesses, in your moments of insult or hardship, persecution or disaster. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would hear these prayers and that you would answer in the way we would want you to answer if we knew what you know. Answer us by your grace. In your name we pray. Amen. I would invite you, if you uh, took children to children's worship downstairs, to pick them up at this time. We'll bring them back in for communion and invite you, as we're doing that, to stand as you're able and we'll sing a song of response as we wait for our kids.